because that's my friend. So here's what you're going to do. You're going to get up and say hi to someone this morning. You don't know. Shake someone's hand real quick. Get up. Get up and say hi. Take a few minutes. All right, go ahead and grab you a seat. Thank you guys so much for being here this morning. Go ahead and grab you a seat. Um, I am excited to be here today for um, a lot of reasons. One of which is is I, I get to see you guys a few times a year and I always love to come on Sunday mornings because I get to meet new people. So new people that have come since we left, as Luke said, we did, uh, we did launch in October of 2017. That was probably the last time you guys saw us. Uh, we were meeting as a small group in my living room in January of 2017 um, and then launched out on a Sunday morning basis in October of 2017. Um, just to give you a small update for those of you that have been praying for us, giving to us, loving on us, supporting us, and just a vast number of ways. Uh, we left this building, this room, with 13 people, including my family. That's 13 adults. Um, and, and, and I know a lot of you loved a lot of them, and, and you still have relationships with those guys. Uh, they say good morning to you this morning. They're over there crushing it um, in our fifth address we've had in just under 18 months. So church planning, I've learned a lot of things. It's, it's way more expensive than you thought it was going to be. It's a lot harder emotionally than I was ever prepared for, and spiritually, it is a wine press. I'll just tell you that right now. So those are three big things that are going on this morning. So they all say hi. We've got almost, we're just about at 40 adults right now. So we're, praise God, you know, they've brought, God's brought us 37 people, you know, almost, which is amazing. And so just in the past three weeks, we added eight new partners which is awesome. We've got, yeah, amen, you can clap to that, right? And we got, we got seven more taking our partnership class beginning in two weeks. So God's just doing something brilliant. And so we've been like this a lot of times. Like I said, five addresses is not fun to move around. And so we live and we learn. But I'm excited to be here this morning. Um, I will definitely let Luke know. Appreciate that. A uh, little tearjerker he, he brought me this morning. But it's, it's interesting. I didn't know Chase was going to get up here and give his testimony this morning. I just found out about that like 15 or 20 minutes ago. So thank you for doing that. It's funny. I'm sitting there nodding my head with Chase because, you know, God, God gave me a great head of hair, right? Like I literally have a great head of hair, but I shave it all the time. And I'll meet people that maybe struggle in that area. I'm not going to say it's a bad thing, Chase, but I'm just saying. And, and here's my problem. Like you saw the Chase hair, the flowing locks. I've never been able to do that. Here's the deal. Y'all ever seen Dumb and Dumber? Right? You know what Jim Carrey looks like with his hair grown out and it's just flat? That's what my hair looks like if I try to grow it out. I cannot pull off the, the awesomeness, so I just shave it. I'm just done with it. So um, 
I did, though, at one time when my hair was the longest, this is what triggered that story, I did used to grow my hair out, and I'd slick it back, right? And I used baby oil. Everybody's like, what? Yes, it was disgusting. Like, I ruined pillows. Like, my mom was so mad at me, you know, because you put that baby oil on your hair, and I didn't take a shower every night, you know? I'm 15 years old, you know? So, but I was super, super awesome, because that's what my friends did. They used baby oil, and I was like, hey. I use baby oil in my hair. Now, don't judge me because I know probably 30% of you use coconut oil in your hair. Anybody put coconut oil in their hair? No, what? That's a thing. I've heard ladies talk about that's a thing, right? No? Ladies are like, okay, we're weird in West Knoxville, whatever. So in ninth grade, though, like my freshman year of high school, so, well, by ending my junior high year when I was about 14, something happened, right? There was a, there was a switch that was flipped, and it wasn't an awesome switch, Right? And it turned on what I call the turd, okay? The turd in me, right? And I just became an absolute mess. I mean, like, just, to, just, it, it just amen and chase the whole way. You know, drugs, girls, and, and, and I, was at a, I was at a 5A high school in Midland, Texas, Lee High School. Some of you may have heard it, Friday Night Lights, right? And I was there. We were a freshman class of 1,000. One ninth grade school. There was no 10th, 11th, 12th. It was a freshman school with a thousand kids, okay? And out of 987 kids, I was ranked 806th. I was just above the kids that never showed up for school for, 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 for a lot of reasons. One is Fridays was my day off. I took Fridays off. I show up to school, but I wore the press dickies. I used to wear dickies. I still wear my, my pumas, but I'd wear my press dickies and my, and, my, and my polo shirt with my button right here. You know, you know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah. And I was cool. I, and, and teachers knew this. Because if you tried to make me work on a Friday, it wasn't going to happen. Let me just tell you. I mean, my Spanish teacher would come to me and say, listen. Here, his name is Mr. Schroyer. He'd say, listen, I'll give you a piece of paper when I'm being observed. You just act like you're taking notes. I'll give you the pencil and everything. I'll give you a 50 every single day. A 50. If you just don't make a problem for me in this class. Right? I mean, I was just a turd over and over again. And here's the best part about it. I had 87 office referrals in one semester. 87 from two teachers. Two teachers. Guess what, uh, guess what their gender was? Female. Right? Didn't have a dad that was really present. Some of you know my story. I won't get into all that. My dad was an alcoholic and a pill popper, so I didn't have a, I didn't have a good you know, male role model or figure in my life. So my mom was, I was kind of the man of the house, right? My mom um, was, my mom, I love her. She's a great lady. She was super passive, you know? So I showed up to school, female teachers was like, sorry, not going to do what you say. So 87 referrals, right? And, and I convinced after that first semester, I convinced, understand, I convinced a room full of seven adults one school board member, four principals, and teachers, that those ladies hated me. They had it out for me, right? I had to go in front of them and sit there and speak and answer questions, and I convinced a room full of adults as a 15-year-old teenager that they just didn't like me. It was their fault. If they just did this, then I would behave. If they could accommodate me, everything would be fine. A 15-year-old. Blaming others, I was a professional finger pointer. You know what I'm saying? 
It was their fault. They did it. If they would just do this, then I would be fine. If they could get it together, then I would be fine. Listen, real quick, point at your neighbor and say, it's your fault. Go ahead, just point at your neighbor, it's your fault. You've already, listen, you've already done it this morning, right? You might not have physically pointed at your spouse or your kid, right? But you pointed in your mind, in your heart at someone that you are blaming them for something. We just came, we're, just, we're still in the Sermon on the Mount series. Like, you guys came out of it, we're still going through it, right? It was all about our heart, right? Jesus talking about our heart. So chances are, you've already blamed someone for something today, or at the minimum this week, you've done it, right? Kids do it. How many of you have kids that have blamed a sibling this morning or this week, or have blamed an imaginary force that destroyed something? It wasn't me. It was that, you know, it was, it was, it was my imaginary friend. It was, it was, it was, I didn't do it spilling milk. How many times have you heard that? I didn't, I, I don't know how it got spilled, mom, right? What about adults? How many chances have you had this week to blame others for something? Shortcomings or not, blaming, blaming others and pointing to someone or someone else. How about employees? Employees are the worst, Right? Those of you that manage people, employees are the worst. Am I right? We won't even get into volunteers. Y'all can amen me, by the way, or amen. Gee, whatever you want to do. This is interactive. So employees are the worst. Everybody said? Okay. Man, that's weak. Okay, how about this? Volunteers are the worst. Uh, no, 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 no. Don't no. <laughs> say amen on that. How about the government? Oh, hey, there you go. I knew that was coming. I won't. Let's go, let's go to Jesus real quick. I'm not even going to touch that, Okay. Turn over to Genesis 3 real quick. That's where we're going to get our passage. Genesis 3, verse 11. This is where we're going to be uh, launching from this morning. So Genesis 3, we all know and familiar. Most of us in the room should be familiar with Genesis 3. If not, you're going to get real familiar with it this morning. And let me say this before I read this. This is supposed to be the best sermon ever. Here's the deal. I get the privilege of talking to you three times this, this, this sabbatical for Luke. Right? So I'm not saying by any means that I'm going to preach you three of the best sermons ever, okay? So we're going to look for like 33% this morning, all right? We're just going to build on that as we go. Is that okay? So just set the expectation down here and we'll see what happens. So Genesis 3, verse 11, beginning of verse 11, going through 13. He said, who is God? God said, right? Showing up in the garden after the fruit has been eaten. He says, He said, Who told you that you were naked? Right? So God just burst in the room. It says, who broke the lamp? Parents, right? Who broke the lamp? Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said this, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. Everybody said amen. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. So, right, we talked about a couple weeks ago, this is the first first game of not it, right? Luke said that, I said that, it's the first game of not it. So, we dream a lot of times of being the first to do things, right? We want to be inventors, we're creators by nature. God's a creator, therefore we create, we want to create. But I don't want to be this kind of creator, right? This is the first time the point, the blame game is happening. Why? Up until this point, there was no reason to blame anybody for anything. Everything was good, right? 
Adam's just working on a tan in the fields, right? Eve's out there just, just hanging out, sunbathing. Like, there's, there's no reason to point any blame because no one was guilty or carrying any guilt. But as soon as the, the fruit, the pomegranate, by the way, it wasn't an apple, but the pomegranate, we can talk about it later, right? The fruit gets eaten, and then what happens? Sin enters. Adam is carrying guilt, right? And so he blames. He begins pointing. Eve is now carrying guilt. She begins to point. This would have been new. This is a day of first for the garden. It's a day of first in the garden. So why did Adam feel this way? Why was that underlying emotion of guilt so prevalent? Has someone ever walked in the room and asked you how the lamp got broke? Right? Has somebody ever shown up when something just happened, whether you did it or not? What just ha- How did this happen? Right? Who in here, when you see a police officer, they don't even have to turn their lights on. You grab the steering wheel with both hands, and you immediately get nervous. Right? Happened to me this morning. I was coming up, I think it's Hollywood, whatever street is, paper mill, I don't know. I saw a motorcycle sitting in a church parking lot, and I'm speeding, and I've got a speeding ticket there before, full disclosure, exact same place. And I thought, that was, I thought it was a cop. And I immediately grabbed this wheel with both hands, let my foot off the gas, and I was like, oh, okay, it's not a cop. Sweet. And then I kept going, right? But, that, but I immediately felt that guilt. I immediately felt that I, had, I, I was doing something wrong, by the way. I was speeding. But I felt it anyway. You feel it even when you're not doing something wrong. If you've ever been pulled over, you know what that feels like. Have any of you ever been pulled over and a cop just wanted to tell you something was wrong with the vehicle or he saw something? It's happened to me. Like I left my gas cap off. And a police officer just pulled me over just to let me know the gas cap was off. But I'm like freaking out. Was I speeding? What did I do? Did I cut somebody off? Did I not use my turn signal? He walks up. He's like, hey, man, just a uh, gas cap. I'm like, oh, oh, okay. Let me dry my hands off real quick. A little sweaty. You ever watch something play out much like Adam? You watch something play out and not stood your ground or stood up for yourself? You know what I'm saying? You not said what you walk away from a situation going, man, why did I say what I need? Like, and you feel guilty. So this is what Adam is feeling in the moment. And it's because of sin and the fall, he does what? When he feels the guilt, he begins to point and blame. He begins to point and blame. So his natural response, his natural response to his feeling was to build a wall of defense. It wasn't me, it was the woman. It wasn't me, it was her. This woman you gave me. So he's not only blaming Eve, who else is he blaming? God, we miss that. We like, to, we like to focus on the fact that he blames Eve right all the time, we catch that, right? But it's like, this woman you gave me, you're asking me why I did what I did? It's your fault, God. You're the one that gave her to me, this is your fault. So his natural response is to blame, but not just blame the only other human in the room or garden. It's to blame the all-creator king of the universe as well. Real smart, right? So this being his natural response to build this defense strategy and blame is because this is a basic human characteristic. It's like Chase was talking about. His, His basic human characteristic, Chase, was to feel guilty. Right? To feel that, to carry that guilt. And then he told you, he began to lie, right? To make himself tell his friends stories, to make himself seem and appear different. 
So everyone born of a woman, raise your hand if you're born of a woman, right? So if you're a clone, this isn't for you. But if you're born of a woman, right, today, clones are exempt. That's not for clones, but this is for you. This is something you had, you, this is something you did not have to take a course to learn. It's embedded in your DNA. Blaming and shifting blame is in your DNA. No one needs to go watch a YouTube video to figure out how to point blame. Amen? You just know. Immediately, when you feel guilt, you, some of us cave. We give in. Right? We don't want to step into the hard thing, so we, we give in. Parents, right? You, you know you shouldn't let them go. You know that if they go, they're just going to act up. But you, you give in. You cave. Right? You, you, you point. Some of us point. Some of us separate ourselves, and we, we, we separate ourselves from the situation. We tell everyone within earshot how this isn't our fault. You want everybody to know, I, I didn't do that. That was Chase. Right? You get loud. You're like, everybody has to see me a certain way. We begin making excuses. Making excuses is blaming, by the way. Just because you're not pointing to a person, you're pointing to an object. You're blaming, right? We're blamers. That's what we do. What about the big blame? The big one. The blame of all blames. You right? When we point our finger up and we blame the big man upstairs, right? We blame the big man upstairs. You're not alone, by the way. When my sister died at the age of 27, guess who I blamed? God right? God, why are you doing this? 27-year-old? That doesn't make any sense to me. You're going to take a 27-year-old from this earth? Why? When my dad died, when I was 19, guess who I blamed? God. Why? When my marriage was a wreck, it was God's fault, right? That's, that's what we do. We're not alone. In, in John 12, Martha Martha, 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 Martha blames Jesus. Jesus, if you would have been here, my brother would not have died. She's like, what's going on? How many times have you blamed God? How many times have you felt guilty, that's the question this morning, and blamed God? God, if you would have just been there, fill in the blank. I let you fill in the blank. God, if you would have only fill in the blank. God, God, where are you? Right? Do you find yourself saying this? Have you found yourself saying this? I think we all can say and agree this morning we have. Whether you love Jesus or not this morning, you've felt it. You've said those things. and one, You may not want to admit it, but it's in there. And here's the scary part to me. This is the part that crushes me. Is it so natural to do that? I find it so natural for me to go, where are you, God? <laughs> right? I find it so natural to blame the all-creator of the, of the universe a little too natural. So when I'm accused, who in here has been accused of something? Not illegal. We won't get into why. But you've been accused, right? And when you're accused or when you screw up or when I, when I, when I screw up, I blame or I withdraw. Right? Who in here likes to be accused? No, but some of us, we run, we blame, we, we, we blame or, we, or, we, or we shrink back and we cave because we don't like that. 
Who in here doesn't like being heard? Right? Like your voice matters. You feel like no one hears you. No one listens, right? To be blamed is to be what? Guilty. If you're blamed for something and there's an accusation that comes against you, you feel guilty and no one wants this. So I will retreat. I'll run and hide. I'll separate myself. I'll create a chasm between me and other people. Right? I'll check out relationally, emotionally. Right? I check out. I, I, I feel an accusation rising up, right? And, it, and, it, and then it checks. It goes against my need and my identity that's trapped in the approval that I need. I need approval, and my identity is wrapped up in that. So if I feel an accusation, you don't, you don't approve of me. So I retreat. I check out. You catch me on Netflix or social media, right? I'm checked out. I'm retreating. I mean, why be here? If you don't want to hear what I have to say, anybody feel that way? Why even show up? Why even engage in this conversation if you're not going to hear me and you're not going to listen? So this is what I do. I check my phone and I check out. Anybody got the screen time app on your phone, iPhones? I talk about this all the time. Screen time will send you a report every morning and let you know how you did the day before. I got one the other day. I was on my phone for six hours and 45 minutes. Six hours and 45 minutes of a 24-hour day. You do the math. And if I go back and I look at the calendar of what was going on that day or what was going on the day before, I needed to check out. I needed to discover a false digital reality where I control the tempo, where I'm guaranteed approval because my newsfeed approves of me. I can change my identity online, I can change passwords, you know what I'm saying? Like throw up a new profile pic, boop, right? Look at me, you know what I'm saying? Like it's so narcissistic, but I do it too. Here's the gospel. For those of you that are sitting there going, this is me, he's talking right at me, right? Some of you have been feeling it, here's the gospel. Your peace and comfort are found in Jesus. Your peace and comfort are found in Jesus, not in your circumstances or others' expectations of you. That's the gospel for you this morning. Turn over to Ephesians real quick. It's not going to be on the screen. Flip over to Ephesians 2. I'm going to show you. Say, Chris, I don't believe you. I'm going to prove it to you. Flip over to Ephesians 2. Tell you something real quick. 14. You ready? Ephesians 2, verse 14, for he himself is our peace. That's not empty words from Paul. For he, for God himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of all hostility. Jesus is your peace, your comforter in time of need. Because of Jesus, Because of Jesus, you now have peace with God and have the power to live at peace with others and with yourself. Not just with others, but with yourself. A lot of times, some of you are great at making friends and bringing peace to a situation, but as soon as you get in the car, it's it's functional hell. It's hell on earth internally, in your own heart. It's torment. You can walk in the power of the gospel and share your voice and presence with others 
even if it rocks the boat, even if it's hard. That's what Paul's saying in Ephesians 2. For others in the room, how about when you don't measure up? Anybody in here feel like you don't measure up? You don't make the grade? You don't cut the mustard? You say whatever you want in there, right? No one likes not to succeed. Anybody here like to fail? Somebody's like, yeah, I love to fail. <laughs> no, no one here likes to fail. No one. Even when I was being who I was at 15, I still didn't enjoy failing. I made a 19 in health. I tell people that are like, how do you make a 19 in health? You take Fridays off. You take your teacher's work table, her, her desk apart, and leave the legs standing with no hardware. And then she sits on it. That's how you get a 19 in health. You send an old lady to the hospital and almost get arrested. That's how you can make a 19 in health. Got much to be guilty for. But even then, I didn't want to fail. I didn't like it. It didn't feel good. To not succeed is to fail, and no one is excited about that. Some of you this morning are suffering attacks from your inner critic. That's telling, telling you over and over and over again that you're a failure. Amen? Anybody here this morning feeling that way? Over and over again that you're a failure. Your inner critic is your worst critic. Most of you, most of you that come, or most of those that come in contact with you probably don't even realize that because you've been so gifted at building and putting on masks, right? Just putting on a happy face, right? I grew up like that. My mother, being a, a very passive person, didn't want anybody to know the turmoil that was going on in our home. You think she was proud of being married to an alcoholic and an abuser? No. So we put on a happy face wherever we went. Church, functions, didn't matter. We put on a happy face. I bet this is driving you into a deep depression and driving you to a place to put a burden on yourself that shouldn't be there. Anybody in here feel depressed this morning? About one day a week, I feel depression coming on, right? Because I don't feel I measure up. I don't feel like I make the grade. Everything Luke said about me is true. I did go through a strenuous assessment process. It was the hardest three years of my life, right? And had everybody high-fiving me and telling me how awesome it was going to be and we were going to make it. But you let 40 people show up and then the next week, 30, and you're going to see a man that's depressed. It doesn't feel like he's measuring up, right? How about y'all? You've got your stuff. You've got your kids. You've got your job. This is literally how you and I relate to God and others through performance and criticism. We think report cards stop when we're seniors in high school. That's not true. Anybody feel like they carry a report card home with them every day when they leave the office? How'd I do today? Salesman. Amen? Make a sale today? Nope. Feel like a failure? Yep. Right? If it's a bad day, it's a bad week, a trip to the store, kiss everything goodbye. If the kids aren't towing the line, God forbid, right? If the kids aren't towing the line, God forbid. Here's the gospel for you that are feeling the weight of that. You don't have to be perfect because Jesus was perfect in your place. You don't have to have it all together 
Because one came that had it all together for you in your place. You are free to do your best, trusting that Jesus has lived the perfect life for you. You're free to live in chaos. Because one came to bring order to the chaos and live a perfect life on your behalf and gave you his righteousness. Chase talked about trying to own his own righteousness and hold on to it and create it. Right? Like we all hold Play-Doh and we're trying to make our own righteousness. Just, just see me this way. I need this person to see me. I need my spouse to see me a certain way. She stares at me with a goofy face week after week when I preach. And I go home every day and I'm like, Sunday, I'm like, was that okay? Like, you were looking at me like I had a stroke or something up there. Is everything? She's like, that's just my face. Don't, don't judge me based on that. It's just my face. But I have to tell myself this every week, like, like I'm made right in the eyes of God. I'm made righteous in the eyes of God because of Jesus. I think we forget that. We can rest. Thank you, Jesus. Right? We can rest in our imperfections because of Jesus. When that guilt is the driving underlying emotion, here's the big one for me. I saved it to the end. I want to take control. Anybody in here control freaks? Go ahead and own it. A control freak. I am a control freak. Right? Just work on a project with me. I'll show you. I need to be powerful, and I also need you to see it. I need you to see that I got it figured out. Case in point, this morning, we got a church, uh, Emmanuel Church. It meets over in West Knoxville as well in Hardin Valley. We've made a great relationship with those guys. They, they've loved on us as we planted and launched. They just gifted us $1,800 worth of worship equipment. It's awesome. Amen. Right? Hallelujah. Praise Jesus. The worship equipment they gave us, though, I got no IQ to run any of it. But that guy showed up this morning to, insert, to, to install it. Guess who was the uh, expert? That's right. I know what I'm doing because I watched a YouTube video yesterday on the model number, right? So he shows up today. and He's got it figured out. He's got a plan. But I'm there like, so uh, you're going to plug that quarter-inch cable into that and we're going to run this? And he's like, no, no, we're not going to do that because this, this reason, I won't spare, I'll spare you the details. But I needed him to see that I knew what I was doing. And it was everything in me to want to plug those cables in, right, and control that. I, didn't, I don't know if I want that in port one. I'd rather it port two. That was me this morning, right? An hour ago, that's what I was doing. I needed him to see that I was powerful, that I was in control, I could do it. I mean, I'm literally right now, I say this all the time, wrestling with not feeling good enough. I'm wrestling with your approval of me in this moment right now. That's why I tell you to say amen. Ah, got you. <laughs> right? Because it makes me feel good. It makes me feel that you are approving of me. And if I don't get that, I become confrontational and aggressive. Spouses say amen when your spouse is confrontational and aggressive because it's not going the way they want it to go. I can't be weak or vulnerable. God forbid. I can't be weak and vulnerable. Which means I can't trust you or I don't want to trust you. I don't trust you enough to show you my true feelings. 
I don't trust you enough to reveal. Chase talked about a, a, a hard thing, a sin that, that plagued him when he was younger, and years later it came out. That was him refusing to want to trust and be vulnerable. You see what I'm saying? We all have that. We all carry those moments and those times in us. And, and, and somewhere I picked up along the way that I need to take care of myself. Somewhere along the way when I was a kid, obviously with a, with a, with a drug-addicted father, right, I, I picked up that I have to take care of myself. My sister was chronically ill as well. My mom worked two jobs. I spent most of my time alone. Right after I got to a certain age. So I, I picked up the belief that I have to take care of myself, that it's all about me. I have to get busy living or get busy dying. Right? I needed to pull myself up by my bootstraps and get it done. But that's not what the cross says. Right? That's, not, that's not what Jesus' life teaches us. That's not what, what Scripture proclaims. But scripture says, when I am weak, right? When I am weak, then I am strong in Christ. When you are weak, you are strong in Christ. Turn to 2 Corinthians 12. 2 Corinthians 12. Again, I'm going to prove it to you. Using Scripture. 2 Corinthians 12. We're going to read 7 through 10. Verse 7 through 10. Paul says this. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh. A messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, what? My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness, in your weakness. His power is made perfect in your weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me for the sake of Christ. Then I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and all calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. But you don't want to appear weak and vulnerable. Just like me. I don't want, to see, I don't want people to see me as weak. But when I'm resting in the beautiful, glorious salvation of Jesus Christ, when I am there, I can let go of the false idea that I must stand my ground and fight for control because Jesus is my protector of strength. I can let all that go. So this frees me up to be vulnerable and boast in my weakness to others so that the power of Christ may rest on me and people can see it. Listen, I haven't quote-unquote led a ton of people to Jesus. I can't stand up here and tell you that I've evangelized thousands and I've baptized hundreds. I can't, I can't do that. But what I can tell you this is I've tried to live my life in such a way that people see my weaknesses and my vulnerability so that they see Jesus and they see Christ, the risen Savior, in me. Right? It's not about, it's not about the good that I've done. Right? It's about the good that Christ has done for me. Amen? You believe that? The gospel we all need to hear this morning is Jesus became guilty for you. He became guilty for you. Right? So someone, a human, not a fairy tale being, understand this, not a fairy tale being, we're talking about Jesus. Jesus, a real person, comes in and literally stands in your place and says, I did it. Punish me. 
punish me. Dad, I broke the lamp. Right? Dad, Dad, I wrecked the car. Dad, I punched my sister. Dad, I'm the addict. Dad, I've abused my spouse and kids. Dad, I've cheated on my taxes. I've cheated on my spouse. I lied. I stole. I've lusted. I've hated. I've done whatever they did. I've done it. Punish me. That's what Jesus says. That's amazing. He says, give me the nails, give me the pain, and give me the embarrassment. You don't have to feel any of that because Jesus already said, give it to me. And he took all of it. I'm still in this. The check cleared, right? You ever heard that? The check was written for your salvation and it cleared. Amen? Thank God. The most beautiful part of the story is is that God, that, that Jesus takes the eternal wrath that was due you and he places it all on his son for you. That's the good news. That's what we're supposed to be telling that world out there as saints and sinners. That even though they're bad, even though they've, they've, they've struggled, even though they messed up, even though they, they smoked dope, even though they've done whatever, that the eternal wrath that was due them, he placed it on his son for them. He takes your lies, your deceit, your malice, your sloppy need for approval, my desperate need for control and power, and he drives it into his hands and feet because he loves you. Amen. He buries it in his side. He, he was pierced for our transgressions. Right? Our transgressions. Guilt, guilt is a disease. Amen? It's a disease that's plaguing a lot of you in the room this morning. And it plagues me. It knocks on my door often. But this is the cure. Turn to 2 Corinthians 5. You already know where I'm headed. 2 Corinthians 5.21, it'll, it'll be on the screen. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's the best sermon ever. That's the best sermon ever. You need to put that on a bumper sticker. It's way better than any other thing you got printed on a t-shirt right now, I promise. That's the one you need to proclaim. That's the message we need to be bringing to Knoxville, north, east, south, or west. That's the message that they need to hear. And the nations, by the way. You no longer have to blame. The blame is taken for you, despite you. Let me close this up and, and bring this around. Let me speak to all the parents and future parents in the room. I'm going to make this real easy. So God literally... If you don't hear anything today, hear this. God literally created us with high expectations. Would you agree? Wanting nothing but the best for his children. Right? Read about the garden. It was amazing. Right? Read about that for a little bit. He wanted nothing but the best. He set us up for the best. Then we were dumb. <laughs> right? Then we were dumb. And we made dumb choices. Sound familiar? Moms, dads? future parents pay attention then he verbally tells us how to behave he literally tells us after that after we screw up he literally tells us how to behave what's right and what's wrong it spends thousands of days repeating himself over and over and over again and at one point he says this isn't working so I'm going to take everything away I'm going to strip humanity down to one family and that one family climbed off a boat and started acting like idiots again right So then he sends himself. 
to rescue us at his own loss, costing him the most. He shows up in our most desperate state to climb on a device that we invented to inflict pain. Think about that for a moment. He climbs up on a device that that we invented to torture one another to death. And with every strike and with every hit of the nail, he pleaded not guilty over your life. He pleaded not guilty over your life. Have any of you ever hammered a nail before into a piece of wood? If you haven't, you ought to try it. It's not as easy as you think it would be. Some of y'all, if y'all ever, I grew up working with my grandfather and he taught me how to hammer a nail. That was one of the stories when my, when my dad married my mom, he didn't know how to drive a nail into wood with a hammer. My grandfather taught him. He's a grown man. So when I was real young, he taught me. But I always thought, I should be able to get this in with three hits, you know? Like it shouldn't be that big of a deal. So it's hard. So when you think about those nails, and you think about those spikes being driven into Jesus' hands and his feet and then through the wood. Know that every hit, every blow, he was pleading not guilty over you. He was taking the guilt. He was taking the blame for all of what you have done, are doing, and will do. Don't forget that. If you don't love Jesus in here this morning, there's no perfect person sitting next to you. Remember, you just pointed at him at the beginning and told him it's their fault. We're saints and sinners. This is the gospel. This is why you're here today. This is why you introduce your neighbor to the idea that there's more to life than the American dream. Right? But where do we fall short this morning? Do we know this? Do we want to get to know this? This is how we meet with Jesus. I tell my people this all the time. I meet with them, and they tell me, I just want to hear from God. Well, then read the Bible. This is literally how you hear from God. Now, some of you would argue that you can audibly hear from God, and I'm not dismissing that. But, but would we all be on the same page if I said, if you read this, you hear from God? Because he tells us this is a living, breathing word. This is how we grow our relationship with Jesus. This is how we become, you want to become a better Christian? I hope you don't become a better Christian. I hate that word, better Christian. I want to close with this, that this morning, the guilt that you're carrying for whatever reason, let it go. Let God have it. Give it to God. Give it to Jesus. That's what those tables are back there for. I challenge my people every week not to just walk back there and eat a stick of bread. Go back there, and before you ever do that, repent. Lament. Maybe some of you are struggling, and you're upset, and you're asking, where were you, God? Marriages, parenting, jobs, bank accounts, 401Ks, whatever, cars, I don't know. Maybe you need to lament, but then you need to repent, right? You need to repent and ask God to forgive you where you failed. How about this? I had this conversation this week. We need to stop asking God. I believe we need to stop asking God to give us things. It's not bad to ask him to give us things. But if we take more of our time and spend thanking him for what he's given us, that changes things a bit, right? Because I've seen him work like that in my life. God, when am I going to get this? Right? God, when are you going to give me 40 people in my church? 
When are you going to bring us 40 people, God? When? 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 When is it going to happen? We didn't grow for six months. We had one visitor in six months. And I spent six months asking God, when are you going to send people to this church? You told me to do this. You told me to, God. Where are the people you promised to send? And then finally, someone said to me, Chris, if you're not satisfied at 25, you won't be satisfied at 250. And I was like, well, you don't know what you're talking about. Then I waited and I prayed, and I started thanking God for who he had sent. I started praising him for the people he had given us, the 25 he'd sent. Amen and hallelujah, right? Thank you, Jesus, for sending those people. And I stopped asking, and then one Sunday, 12 new people walked into our gathering. 12. For us, it's like 300% growth, right? That's 300%. That's a big number. And I don't think it's plausible mathematically. I don't know. But whatever. 12 people. And then I sat there in disbelief. Like, what? And my wife said, we've been asking him. And I'm like, yeah, but it wasn't until we started thanking him for what he had given us. When I stopped carrying the guilt of not crushing it, when I stopped showing up to those weekly meetings with Luke and, and, and telling him and crying on his shoulder about it's not going to make it, I don't know what's going to happen, when I stopped doing all that and stopped bearing the guilt and the, and the burden on myself to be approved of and started thanking God for what he's already done, what he's already brought us, and if he kept us at 25, then we'd be fine. When I started thanking him for that, everything changed. So I ask you, I challenge you this morning, it's okay to ask God for things, but shift your way of thinking and thanking him for the salvation he's already granted to you. Thank him for already removing the guilt that you're going to feel tomorrow. Amen? Let's stand up and we're going to sing. Close us out. God, you are, you are all knowing God, you are all powerful. You are all mighty. God, you are awesome. The word awesome means worthy of worship. And I abuse that word because I think tacos are awesome. But God, you're awesome. And as we sing to you this morning, as we sing praises to your name, as we lament, as we repent, God, as we confess, and not to another human being, but to you, the almighty creator of the universe. We confess where we've pointed at you and said, where were you, God? We focus our heart and our attention this morning on what you've already given us. The salvation that comes through Christ Jesus we're thankful for. And so I ask God this morning that you would burden our hearts for that thanksgiving. That we could rest in your assurance and the righteousness granted to us by your son through the power of your Holy Spirit. And as we sing, we're reminded of that this morning. Thank you for my friends this morning, God. Thank you for their love and support of our work in West Knoxville. God, thank you for money they've sent, time they've invested. God, we couldn't be more blessed today. So I pray for my friends this morning that they would hear you, they would believe you, and God, they would love you. I pray that we would change the city because of your son. We love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.
ashamed of what I've done. What I've become. These hands are dirty. I dare not lift them up to the Holy One. Let's sing that verse again. 